0: Well, good morning again. Welcome again to those who might just be joining us online. Thrilled to be at this gathering of Hope Bible Fellowship. It's just, um, it's a joy to be with you. Go ahead, if you've got your Bible or your device, you look up Scripture with and open to Mark chapter 4. I know, so we finished our, our series through stewardship um, last week. And then, as I mentioned, I'm going to be out of town next weekend. And so this is what pastors, we affectionately refer to as a one-off, okay? Because it's not part of a a series or anything. I'm just going to preach on a section of passage of Scripture from Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And we're going to begin, if you want to stick your thumb in it, in verse 35. That's where we're going to be uh, camped out today. Next week, as I mentioned... Um, We're going to be out of town spending some extended time with family uh, during the boys' spring break, which is going to be hopefully awesome and restful um, with a little bit of driving, um, or a lot, but anyway, um, and uh, wanted to say that Tim Bivens is going to be here uh, filling in for me next week, so you guys know Tim Bivens. Uh, He'll be here filling in, he's excited about it, and uh, sometimes he watches us, so hi Tim if you're watching, but um, I think he watches the recording because he's probably actually at his church, but anyway, um, so he'll be here, and then the following week we're going to begin celebrating Palm Sunday, and then the following Friday will be Good Friday, and then of course Easter Sunday. We will have a Good Friday service, Um, we're going to plan that, and you'll be seeing that we'll get an event and everything scheduled on Facebook, so you'll see that coming across Uh, Facebook and Faith Life and those things, so you'll know the timing and all of that. Um, During Good Friday service, we will be uh, celebrating uh, the Lord's Supper or communion uh, during that time as well. So hopefully you'll be able to be here with us for that um, on Good Friday. Hopefully you will right now put it on your calendar and just decide to be with us for that. Uh, Then after Easter, um, I'm going to start preaching through the book of Hebrews and that's going to take us approximately the rest of the calendar year. And so we'll be in Hebrews until we hit Christmas, okay? Uh, at least that's the plan with some, uh, there'll be some one-offs in there where, uh, where I'm hopefully during the summer gone a little bit. So uh, anyway that's what's going to be going on. Um, So we got a lot of cool stuff coming up. Then on on April 24th, we're going to have some guests coming to fill in for worship. Dana's going to be out of town. So we'll have some guests coming to fill in, lead worship for us. So there's a lot of cool stuff coming up at Hope Bible Fellowship. So I hope you'll join us for all of those things. And you'll be hearing more about those. So if you didn't get them written down, uh, that's okay. Let me ask you a question about your life though. And and please don't yell your answer. This is going to be weird, okay? But here's the question. Have you ever done something because you genuinely believed that it was the thing that God wanted you to do in a certain situation, but then things didn't end up going the way you thought they would go? That ever happened to you? Have you ever faced something frightening or seemingly overwhelming as you walk with Jesus? I have. I have. We see that happen in our passage today, actually. But let me also ask you this. In those situations that seemed frightening or seemed overwhelming, how did God's sovereignty and authority over life and death teach you, instruct you, and grow you during that time? See, today, we're going to watch the disciples get into a situation that seems pretty scary and overwhelming And in the midst of it, though, we're going to see Jesus's divinity and humanity displayed. We're going to see God's sovereignty at work. And and we're going to see a savior who can be trusted because he's worthy to be trusted. I want to see all that in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. So follow along with me if you've got it open. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. And he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, This is the word of the Lord. And let's pray and ask God to help us understand and apply it to our lives. God, thank you for your word that shows us who you are. And so very clearly also shows us who we are. Help us understand. Help us see the point. Help our lives be different because of it. Change our hearts because we've spent time in your word. Father, I pray that my words would be clear. That if there's anything that's just of me, that you would clear that out, that I would decrease and you would increase, Jesus. Lord, that you would speak clearly to your people, and that the response of our heart would be trust in you, obedience to your commands, faithfulness, repentance of sin and belief in the gospel. I am nothing without you, Jesus. I can't do this without you. I need you to be big. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This passage, you've heard me say this about other passages, but this passage is probably one of the most misapplied passages in the entire Bible. You know, that's a tiny bit of an issue for me if you've been with us for any amount of time. I want to make sure that we're correctly handling the word of God. See what this passage is not about. This passage is not about how Jesus calms the storms in your life. This passage ultimately is about the fact that Jesus is God and therefore has authority and is able to save. It's not about you and me. We're far too quick to try to put ourselves in the story, and we're going, to talk about, we're going to talk about us, right? We're going to talk about what God does with us, okay? We are going to talk about that, but we are far too quick to interject ourselves into Scripture and make ourselves the main character. But here's the thing. The Bible's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about Jesus, And we have to take the text as the text is and not add any preconceived notions to it. We need to look at the text, no matter what we've heard preached about this text, what we've heard said before, maybe we read a book about it. What we need to do is we need to first look at the text and see what the text says, what we pull out of what the text says, what the author intended, and then move on from there. So, as I read this story, this which is an incredible story, what is going on? What's going on in this story? Well, Jesus has been teaching. Sure seems like he's tired. So it's evening, and he tells the disciples, hey, let's go across to... That's not an exact quote. I don't think he said hey, all right. Uh, uh, But just, uh, let's go across to the other side. Now, just from that statement, it seems like Jesus is intending for them to go to the other side. No duh, pastor. Right, what I'm saying is, it seems like Jesus intends that they're going to get to the other side, right? That's what it seems like to me. I'm not real bright, but that's what it seems like. Now, so they get in the boat, and there are other boats with them. Now, when I've seen this portrayed, on like in, in Jesus movies, right? Or when I've seen it on, uh, I've mentioned this before in Sunday school on the old school flannel graph, you know, if you were if you went through Sunday school as a little guy and you're about my age, we had the flannel graphs, right? Or you've seen it in your Bible storybook. When you see this, it looks like it's just their boat and that's it. But the Bible tells us there were other boats with them. Now, when the storm's going on, where did those other boats end up? I, I, I don't know, okay? I wasn't there. But there were other boats with them. I thought that was interesting. So they get out into the water, and this great windstorm arises. Now, what we need to understand about the Sea of Galilee is these great windstorms are not abnormal for the Sea of Galilee. They're not, it's not really a strange thing for them to have these, like, gale force winds, The Sea of Galilee, where it's situated, is it was surrounded by mountains. And what would happen is winds would drop in. Okay, so it's surrounded by mountains. Winds would come in, they would drop in, and they would circulate violently. Okay, think about almost like a hurricane kind of thing. Okay, this would be a violent storm. Now also remember that the guys in the boat, you've got some experienced fishermen in that boat. They would have seen this. They would have known about these storms happening in the Sea of Galilee. And yet, they seem like they are scared. Okay? It doesn't say, doesn't say fearing till later, okay? And it's about something else, and we'll get to that in a minute. But they sure seem concerned about this. Concerned enough that they wake Jesus up, right? So the waves are breaking into the boat. The boat is starting to fill with water. Now, I'm a pretty good swimmer. I've swam most of my life. Okay, I had basic rescue class and all that. I was like two week, a two-week class from being a lifeguard. Like, I, I, I swim a lot. Like, sometimes I just go swim laps, okay? My wife doesn't swim so much. Now, if you don't swim, the boat filling with water might cause an extra level of fear rising up in you right now, Okay? Uh, even as good of a swimmer as I might think I am. In a storm in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, I am dead. So these guys, the boat, the, wa- the waves are breaking against the boat. It's filling up with water. And at this point, we see our first standout point on display here. Okay, And that's this. In this passage, we see both Jesus' divinity and his humanity on display. In this passage, we see Jesus' divinity and his humanity on display. So what happens? They go get Jesus, who is asleep during a storm. Now, as I understand it, I've actually slept through a hurricane before. I I sleep very deeply. Okay? Okay? Um, I was, uh, was with a lay renewal team and we were doing a revival services. I was, uh, had just graduated from high school and I was in Virginia Beach uh, working with this church doing these services and I was staying in a host home and there was a hurricane coming in. I don't think it was a direct hit or anything like that, but there was this hurricane coming in in 1996. You could probably look up the name of the hurricane. I don't remember. Um, and I just remember coming out in the morning and there's like tree stuff in the yard and stuff around. It's like, oh, that's what a hurricane was, but I didn't know because I slept through it, okay? So it obviously probably just kind of glanced by, but yet I like to say I was able to sleep through a hurricane, anyway. Uh, But this storm is crazy. It's going on and Jesus is asleep on a cushion in the stern of the boat, which is where the rudder was located. Uh, This would have been likely where the person who steers the boat would have likely sat, okay? Jesus had been teaching And he was tired. He was not worried, but he was resting. And I've said this before, sometimes the most godly thing you can do is take a nap. Think about this. When you're so sure of your heavenly father that you can sleep soundly when the world around is flailing and the boat's filling with water, that's that's an amazing trust in God. Anyway, they wake Jesus up. Now, Jesus, uh, we're, we're going to talk about Jesus some more, obviously. But it, when I get woken up, the first thing I want to be confronted with is not someone accusing me of not caring whether they live or die. <laughs> okay? I don't know about you, but when I first get woken up, I would much rather be woken up to, honey, I poured you a cup of coffee. It's on the table. Or hey, you can go back to sleep. I'm going to take care of everything. Whatever, okay? But what you don't want is what Jesus gets. Jesus gets woken up and they accuse him of not caring whether uh, whether they live or die or they accuse him that they're perishing. This man who they were teaching, or excuse me, who, who was teaching them, they had left everything to follow him. This man would ultimately die on the cross in the place of them as payment for their sins. And here they were doubting if he even cared that they were dying in this storm. Now, I know, looking back, we have twenty twenty vision we can see back. So it seems silly to us that they would think that someone who was going to die for them, ultimately, would, they would wake him from a nap because they were concerned that he didn't care that they were dying in this storm. But Jesus was not concerned about the storm. So he wakes up, and he rebukes the wind, and he tells the sea, peace, be still, and everything's calm. Then he asks them why they're so afraid. He then says something that just stings. Like, I wasn't there, and it stings me when I hear it. He says, have you still no faith? And then the text tells us that they were filled with great fear, which literally is, they feared a great fear. This isn't a scared fear, like they might have been feeling before, possibly, of being terrified they were going to die. This was a fear where they were in awe of the one who could still the wind and the waves. See, all the good little Jewish boys of that day knew that there was exactly one person who had control over the wind and the waves. One person who had authority over nature. And he's written about in Psalm 107. Let's look specifically at Psalm 107 verses 23 through 32. It says this, some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Every good little Jewish boy knew that God was the only one who had control over nature. So here we have someone controlling nature. See, God has authority over nature because he's the creator God. And Jesus has authority over nature because he is God. Now imagine you're sitting in that boat and you know that only God controls nature And boom, here's a guy in your boat doing the same thing. And they feared a great fear. They were in awe. Because this guy they were following, they were listening to him teach. Crowds were coming. And here he was displaying the very power of God. We see Jesus' divinity on display. It reminds me, um, a few years ago, I heard a missionary tell this story about another missionary he knew. And um, we were trained in doing um, chronological Bible storytelling, which is uh, basically we would go over to Uganda and we would have memorized stories in the Bible, um, not direct quotes from the Bible, but we had memorized the, the stories chronologically and we would share them with the people, and then we'd have questions we would ask, go through to study them, to talk about Jesus. And they call, it, uh, they call it Bible storying, okay, because they're very much an oral tradition culture over there in the tribes we were working with. But I heard a story about a guy uh, who, he went to one of these uh, third world countries somewhere, I don't know exactly where, but he told this story in this more primitive culture. See, we've Americanized it. We've made it about us. In America, as I mentioned earlier, you tend to hear this as like a devotional story that's very me-centered in its explanation, you know. Um, But the people in this other country were not struck by that. When they heard this story, there was no talk of, oh, I see, Jesus calms the storm in my life or Jesus goes through the storms of life with me. No, that was not their comment upon hearing this story these people in this more primitive culture heard this story and they said, oh, he must have been a most powerful man. He must have been a very powerful man. See, they got it. The point wasn't about them. The point was that Jesus is God. He has power and authority because he is God. His divinity is on full display for the disciples to see. We find out, like, They still didn't quite get it, right? So we see his divinity, but we also see his humanity on display in this story. How so? Glad you asked, let me tell you. He was tired. He was tired. 100% man, 100% God, and the man was tired. He'd been teaching, which by the way, if you don't know, I'll tell you, it wears you out. Okay, Sunday afternoon, I'm spent. Sunday afternoons, I'm spent. He was tired, so he went to sleep. Again, sometimes the most godly thing you can do is take a nap. Seriously, and I mean that, absolutely. We see throughout the gospel accounts, though, that Jesus got tired. He got hungry. He got angry, though he did not sin in his anger, but he got angry. He cried, and he died. The Christian church has always believed. Listen, the Christian church, because if they don't believe what I'm about to say, I don't think they're a Christian church, all right? But the Christian church has always believed. So for 2,000 plus years, uh, the Christian church has always believed that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, the God man, the perfect God man. The only qualification that is ever put upon Jesus' humanity is that he had no sin. He never sinned. He was perfect. He lived a perfect human life that none of us could possibly live. I want to just reference a couple of verses that point to this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He was human without sin. With no sin nature like we have. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus must have been exhausted from all the teaching and being around the crowds, and he was sound asleep in the stern of the boat right through the storm. One commentator notes that this is the only time in the Gospels when we read about Jesus sleeping. I mean, he must have slept other times, but we don't have an account of every hour of every day of his, okay? that did not change the fact that he was still God and still in authority over the very water that was carrying them to the other shore. See, he could rest with complete trust in the care of his heavenly father. Jesus knew there was still work for him to do. He still had work to do on the cross, ultimately. So he rested to be energized for the work ahead of him on the other shore, right? Like they were going. So he rested to be prepared for the work of God for him to do next so we see both Jesus' humanity and his divinity on display but now we need to look at the storm itself and in the storm and the circumstances around the storm we see God's sovereignty in our circumstances we see God's sovereignty in our circumstances look many times as we live our lives we encounter circumstances that surprise us or that aren't what we expected, maybe they're different than we expected. Often, as as I asked you earlier, we're doing something that God has commanded us in the scriptures, and then things don't end up working out like we planned. The thing we have to understand is that God works through our circumstances, works through the things in our lives and that we are going through. Not only do they not come as a surprise to him? Like, we're, we're quick to say that. I mean, I've said it a hundred times. This didn't come as a surprise to God, right? When I go through something. I get it, and that's true, but we need to go further than that. Not only do they not come as a surprise to him, but further, he wants us to go through them as a means of helping us trust him more. He brings events into our lives to mold us. Now, think about this passage of Scripture, Jesus told them to cross to the other side. Do you understand? Jesus led them straight into the storm. He knew it was coming because he planned it. And he led them right into it. He wanted them. He wanted his followers right in the middle of the wind and the waves. In the storm was right where God wanted them he had a purpose in it. He was about to show them more about himself. And usually when we're in a storm, we're like the disciples. All we want is to get out of the storm. And it's not necessarily a bad thing to not want the storm to go on, okay? Like most of us, when we're in a storm, it's not like we should want it to happen, okay? But when we're in the storm... When they were in the storm, what was going on is God, he was molding them, and he was about to show them more about himself. Now, Jesus had further work to do. He was resting peacefully. And there's three reasons I want to give you why the disciples should not have been disturbed about this storm. Three reasons they should not have been disturbed by the storm. Number one. They'd been commanded by Jesus to go to the other side. I said that earlier, like Jesus was the one who told them to go to the other side. So we can assume that Jesus means for them to go to the other side. And they should have trusted that he was going to carry them through. Number two, they should have trusted that he would carry them through because number two, the Lord himself was in the boat with them. The Lord himself was with them. Now, they did not yet fully understand that he was the master of, Of every situation. See we do that. Like sometimes we forget. That God's the master of every situation. Even the things that I don't want to go through. And number three. They could see that Jesus. Was perfectly at peace. They could see that Jesus. Was perfectly at peace. And so they shouldn't have been disturbed by the storm. Because Jesus. Certainly. Was not disturbed by it. But instead of those three things giving them calm assurance, what was their reaction? What would a lot of our reactions have been, right? Their reaction was, Don't you care, Jesus? Don't you care? We're, we're dying out here. This is the first time Jesus has addressed his teacher. And Mark Mark emphasizes Jesus as an authoritative teacher. But the disciples mistook Jesus' trust in God for apathy. Jesus was soundly asleep, trusting God to carry them through. And the disciples, instead of going, oh, Jesus has trust that we're going to be okay. Jesus has trust in his heavenly father that whatever happens, he trusts his heavenly father Instead of that, they thought it was apathy that he just didn't care. So many times, when God doesn't jump, when we say jump, <clears throat> or sorry, when we pray and ask God to move, and he doesn't immediately move, we mistakenly think, yeah, he doesn't care about me. And nothing could be further from the truth. Well, we let our emotions and we let our plans and what we want, we, we get all that. and We forget that God doesn't work like we work. His ways are higher than our ways. We just want him to work now in our way, in our time. And we think, well, Jesus, don't you care that this thing is going on? He absolutely cares. The disciples' fear, oddly, is not mentioned until... After the storm is calmed. Kind of reminds me of Abraham. We talked about Abraham a little bit last week. And, and his test with uh, sacrificing. God telling him to sacrifice his son. And then God providing a substitute sacrifice. See it was exam time. The, the disciples had been listening to what Jesus had been teaching. And then what would their response be to seeing his divine power on display? What is our response to that as we go through things? Warren Wiersbe said, faith must always be tested. It is not enough to merely learn a lesson or repeat a teaching. We must be able to practice that lesson by faith. This test was not so that God could see something about them. He already knew it. He already knew what was going on. It wasn't so he could test them like an unknown substance, which we talked about like last week. When God was testing Abraham, it wasn't so that God could find out something that God didn't know. No, God knew it all already. But this was so that the disciples could see Jesus as divine, as God, who he claimed to be and who could be trusted that God could be trusted, that Jesus could be trusted. And that brings us to the third thing that we see displayed here. We see a savior who can be trusted. We see a savior in this passage who can be trusted. The activity of the disciples and their accusation about Jesus possibly not caring about their lives being at stake showed that they didn't have faith in Jesus and he knew this. But now they knew it. They were panicking about their lives. In my mind, I don't know what this looked like, but my mind is a little cartoony sometimes. You may have picked up on that. I picture the disciples like the storm, the boats filling up with water, the waves are breaking, Jesus is asleep. And I kind of picture them like running around, like, ah! right i mean that's, that's just how i picture it in my head all right i don't think that's necessarily what happened but we could say they're panicked don't you care that we're perishing here's the thing you're going to want to write this down when we lose faith in the one we should trust the result is panic when we lose faith in the one that we should trust that one should be Capital O N E, Jesus. When we lose faith in God, when we lose faith in the one we should trust, the result is panic. When we don't trust God's plan, when we don't trust God to carry us through, we panic. See, the greatest danger facing the disciples was not the storm. The greatest danger facing the disciples was not the storm the greatest danger facing you is not whatever storm is going on around you right now and that's not the greatest danger the greatest danger they faced was unbelief in their hearts see this miracle this miracle that jesus performs validates everything that he had spoken about in his previous teaching which oh by the way they were with him for And it validates everything he had taught. It's the first of four miracles that demonstrate his lordship. And the disciples were filled with a great fear. They were in awe of the power Jesus had displayed because it was a validation of what they had heard him teach. When you see God be God, our response is to stand in awe. And sometimes, friends, I, I feel like I don't just stand in awe of God enough. There used to be that song years ago, okay? I don't remember what song it is, and I don't remember the words, except that I just remember, I stand in awe of you. I stand in awe of you. Let my words be few. That's the name of the song. I just got it reciting it. That we just stand in awe of God sometimes. Because of who he is and what he's done, and the fact that he can be trusted. Because he's never proven himself to be anything other than trustworthy. And yet we lose faith and we get all panicky. We wave our arms around. What's going to happen? Mark is likely indicating or intending to indicate, sorry, that faith is more than learning. That faith is more than intellectual assent. It's more than knowing things but it is trust in a specific person, and that is Jesus, the Christ of God. This isn't about having faith in faith itself, because that will get you nowhere. It'll get you at the bottom of the sea in a boat. So the question that we have to bat around in our hearts is this. Do we really trust Jesus? Have we truly believed the gospel that he is who he says he is? And when God leads us through a storm, we find it becomes evident where our faith stands. If you trust Jesus and you believe Jesus is God, you believe Jesus is absolutely who he says he is and will do what he said he would do. And that if you trusted in the gospel, repent of your sins, that your eternity is secure and that you have forever with him and heaven is heaven because Jesus is there then the question is, then even if the boat sinks in the storm, will you still trust him? Even if it's stage four cancer, will you still trust him? Even if you don't get that job, even if you don't get that house, even if you don't, whatever, even if mom and dad die, even if Your kid dies, even if, will you still trust him? We talked during the prayer time this morning about all these dark things going on, right? And we're not guaranteed that we won't suffer. In fact, we're pretty well guaranteed we will suffer at some point. Like, we will go through some things. Will we still trust him? the one who controls the wind and the waves and our bodies, our health. Like imagine you are in that boat with them. You've just witnessed this amazing display of authority and power. Now some time passes and this same man, the very son of God, their authoritative teacher, their compassionate leader, willingly hangs on a cross, laying down his life for them, even though you know and I know, because we saw it on the boat, that he has the very power of God in him. And yet he willingly lays down his life for them. Yet this man would endure the pain, the humiliation, and the death of crucifixion as a substitute for them because of their sin, and as a substitute for you and me because of our sin. Imagine you're there three days later when you hear reports that the tomb where they laid his lifeless body is now empty and that he's risen from the grave and that he is alive. They could and we can have a faith in Jesus that perseveres because we know him who not just calms the storms but commands their very existence, look I know a lot of pastors would probably go the route of simplifying this passage into saying, "Oh, well, you know Jesus calms the storms of life and and so you can walk through them with him, but Jesus is with you even in the storms of life. you know th- that's nice. Those are nice sentiments. But this is bigger than that. This is bigger than that. We have to get away from thinking everything's about us. That's really what we talked about in the stewardship series. But it's true all the way around our lives. We can't live me-centered for Jesus. Can't live me-centered for Jesus. Our lives must be centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that changes us. I'm going to invite the musicians to come forward and kind of get ready as I kind of turn the corner here. But see, Jesus sends us out into the storm knowing that he is always in full control of every situation. He wants us to trust him in these very troubling circumstances. And oh, by the way, he's not worried or afraid because he knows who holds the power and we should too. When we trust in him, in this, in his sovereignty, his total authority, his control, we experience a much deeper resolve, a deeper relationship, and a deeper trust. He's in complete control and reigns supreme. So I can obediently walk any path he lays before me, even one that leads through suffering, through a storm. Yes, Jesus is with his people. Yes, He can calm the storm. But as the old contemporary Christian song, I don't think I can use that phrase together, old and contemporary. But anyway, there's this old Christian song when I was in high school by Scott Cropain. And it said, sometimes he calms the storm and sometimes he calms his child. We can have complete confidence in his authority and control in all of life to trust and do not fear, to not worry. So the question for each of us today is where is your faith? Where is your faith? You may be going through a crazy storm. Some of you are. You Maybe going through a crazy storm in life. Where is your faith? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation first? That's the first question. Have you ever trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, what we call becoming a Christian, becoming a Christ follower? Have you trusted that he died willingly on the cross in your place as a perfect sacrifice to atone for your sin? Have you believed that he rose from the grave and have you repented of your sin and trusted in him alone for salvation? Have you started this journey with Jesus? Secondly, Maybe you've been a believer in Christ for a while. But you've never been obedient in some of the basic things of following Christ. Maybe you've never never been obedient in believer's baptism. Whereby you tell the world through a symbol of baptism what has happened to you on the inside. And you're sharing it with the world on the outside. If you haven't, I would love to talk to you about either of those things. And we can set up a time to do that. We can talk after church. Third, have you been toying around with serving Christ in a deeper way, but you're scared? Maybe now is the time that you need to trust who he is. I'd love to talk more with you about that as well. Look, we've heard the truth today. And now is the time for us to respond in our hearts to the Lord's calling. See, we're going to have a response. We hear the word of God preached. We will have a heart response, either to yes, yes and amen, I agree, or we will be, you know, rejecting of it or ambivalent, which is the same as rejecting of it. So we've heard the truth. Now is the time to respond in our hearts. What is God leading you to today? Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us your son, Jesus, in your word. Thank you for proving yourself over and over in our lives. Help us to take you at your word and trust you, whatever circumstance. And help us to not fight against you, but to see how you're molding us in our circumstances, Jesus make us more like you. If there are those here who have questions about what it means to follow you about baptism about um, just serving you in a deeper way maybe there's somebody here who's feeling a call to ministry Uh, I just pray that you would give them uh, the boldness to step out and ask somebody to help them walk through that but in all things as a church and as individuals Help us trust you more, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. Would you stand and sing with us today?